This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information on Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. All right. Uh, I'm really excited about this message that, that we have for, that I have for tonight. Um, it's something that, as I was putting together, I was getting all giddy about. Uh, all right, I'm going to start. Here we go. Okay, so uh, ever since I was a teenager, uh, when my wife and I started dating, we started dating our sophomore year of high school, um, kind of what defines the relationship between my wife and I and my dad and has defined us since we were teenagers, or my, me and my wife were teenagers, has been our many adventures that we go on. And it, it's, I think the first one that we did, we saw some, a fox running through Prosca Park in, in the winter. And we stopped, I don't know what we were, where we were driving, but we stopped driving and followed behind this fox and tried to get as close as possible. And we spent like a good hour doing it. It was a complete total waste of time. But, but, but it was like a little adventure that we, that we found ourselves on. Next one was like we, we were going to look at a pickup truck. I was like 15, I was, or I was about to turn 16. I was looking for a car, so my dad t- took me and Mona to go see this, uh, this pickup truck. And uh, so we went out there, and we saw the truck, and we're like, we're already out here. We're, we're by my grandfather's grave. Let's go see if we can find it. Now it was like 10.30. It's like pitch black. And so we go to this, this grave. My dad hasn't been there in like 15 years. Um, it, it's crazy. So we go, and we're wandering all throughout the dark through, the, through this, this cemetery, um, creeped out. Finally, we find the, my, my, grand, my grandpa Jack's grave, and, uh, and um, we kind of stand there a little bit, and, and we, there's deer all around it, and then we find this creepy truck that has lights on. He was kind of just staring at us. Anyway, it was an adventure. And the most recent one took place last year when we were in North Carolina. The whole family were, had rented a house, and we were all kind of hanging out at this house, and up until at that point, Mona and I had been doing day trips to go hike back to waterfalls. Um, it was one of our favorite things to do. So we, we had gone to like five of them already. Now, the waterfalls that we went back to, they, were, they all had signs, you know, you know, waterfall this way, you know, and there's heavy foot traffic and, and you, know, you know, thousands of people are, are there daily. You know, they, they, were, they were really, you know, touristy hikes. And uh, so... Uh, we had gone to those, and we were waiting around the house. My dad had gone into town. He comes back. He comes to the house. He goes, man, I was talking to this guy at this gas station. He says, there's this waterfall that's off the map. He said, it's the best waterfall in, in the area. Nothing like the, those other ones that you guys have seen, but it's off the map. There's no signs. There's nothing. So we're, we're like, does anybody else want to go? Everyone's like, no, we don't want to go. So just me, my dad, Pastor Dave, and, and my wife, Ramona, uh, go out on this adventure. So we drive all around the mountains of North Carolina, and, and uh, we find these two guys who, who, who are smoking marijuana in their, in their truck in the parking lot of a church, and, and we go up, and there's, their car is mysteriously filled with all this smoke, and they roll down the window. Oh, seriously, seriously, it could be a movie. We pull up there, and we're like, hey, do you know where this waterfall is? And they're like, oh, yeah, it's right past down the road, dude, you know? And so they send us down the road. It's just, just got to go past this around the curve. So we're like, okay, cool. So we follow these, these stoners' <laughs> directions, and we follow around this curve. Finally, it takes us forever, a couple passes. We finally find this place. There's no signs. 
the only clue that gives you that this is the, the way to go is that there's a little area where you can see that people have been walking through. So we, we go up this thing, and we, we had no idea what it was going to be like. And the guy didn't give us anything besides, it's beautiful, you know? So we're going completely on that, and we're fired up for this. We, we start on this, on this path. We kind of get start, start it, and all of a sudden it goes from kind of rough terrain to straight downhill. We had no idea. What this happened? Oh, I forgot I had my dogs with me too. So it's even more dangerous. So they're pulling me, and, it, and we're having to hold on to roots as we're going down. So we keep going, we keep going, and now we're like an hour into this hike. Now we went at the end of the day, so the sun is starting to go down. And we're like starting to get kind of freaked out because Mona and I, on our previous hikes on those heavy traffic areas, had seen bears, black bears. Uh, we saw a mama bear and her three cubs. And we're like, man, if there's bears on those heavy traffic areas, I can't even imagine. My wife called the area very berry. So it, there, there's berry. We're like, oh, my gosh, they're probably staring at us, like prepping their menu and for, for dinner. We're completely freaked out. Sun's going down, starting to get dark. We have no flashlights. Only thing we had was one phone, and the battery was dying. We're like totally freaked out. And now we're an hour into this hike, and we can't see the water. We're like, we can't, we're barely, at this point, we're like, we can barely hear the waterfall. And we're kind of starting to hear it, and we're like, man, this is madness. And we got to that point in our, in our adventure, in our journey, where we forgot why we were doing it. And we're like, what is the point? We've seen five waterfalls already. What is the point of this adventure? See, every great adventure that we go on, that anyone goes on, every great story of an adventure has a middle section or has moments in it where the hero or the protagonist of the story doubts themselves. They doubt the reason why they're there and they start to become discouraged. Fear and fatigue start to settle in and they lose sight of why they're doing it. Think about it. Think about Star Wars. Okay? Empire Strikes Back. Luke is on uh, Dagobah. He's trying to lift the, the, the X-wing out of the... Out of the has anybody never seen this movie? The Swamp, right? He's trying. He's like, oh, I can't do it, Master Yoda. And he's trying to lift it up with, with the Force, and he can't lift it up, and he's all discouraged. And then he goes into that weird, trippy cave, and he sees Darth Vader, and then he finds out that his... Spoiler alert, that his, his friends are in trouble, and, and then he's like arguing with Master Yoda about i got to finish my training, or I don't want to finish my training, I want to go help my friends. And he's in this conflict area. Some kind of form of conflict has, has, has confronted him. He's ran into, run into a problem, and now he starts to forget, why am I training for this? Same thing, take any Rocky movie, I'll go with Rocky III, because it has, has um, uh, who played Culver Lane? Mr. T. has Mr. T in it. I like Mr. T. And uh, so Rocky starts, spoiler alert, Rocky starts, this movie, starts the, the movie off, and he's the champ, and, but life's not quite what he thought it would be as the champion, you know? And so he's fighting all these, these cheap fights, and he's just not living up to what it is. And so then he decides to take on Clubber Lang, and he meets this problem that is Clubber Lang. Clubber Lang beats him, and he loses his title, and then Mickey dies, and, spoiler alert, and, and he, he, he goes to train with Apollo Creed in California, but things aren't the same, right? because he hasn't forgiven himself for Mickey dying. And he, he gets confronted with this, and, he, and you know, he can't remember why he loved fire. And over and over and over again, any story, I could tell you, every, every, any story has that moment in it, any great adventure. 
It's the same is true for, in our lives. See, our lives are, are one big adventure. It's one big journey. Would you agree with that? And in our lives, we come to, to sometimes to, moment, to a moment, or a lot of times, multiple moments spread out through our life where we hit this, this period where we're tired. Fatigue has started to set in. We start to lose sight of, of why we're doing what we're doing. We lose sight of why we're ministering to, to, in the ministry that, we, that we're, we've been placed in. We start to lose sight of why are we even living for God? This is just rough. It's tired. We start to hit that burnout phase, right? See, burnout isn't something that only ministers face or people in ministry face. It's something that every Christian faces. You get to that point where being a Christian is hard and you start to lose your passion. You start to wonder, why am I doing this? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about maintaining your passion through adversity. Talking about how to keep the fire burning in your heart. In order to understand this, there are three things that we must know. Real quick, let's go to God and let's pray over this message. God, we come before you tonight. Lord, I, I know that this message is from you, Lord Jesus, so I pray that, that I would be able to, give, to speak it effectively, Lord God. Lord God, to communicate it in a way that everyone can understand, Lord. And I pray that you would just uh, help us to soak it in tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so the first thing you need to know is that passion is a commandment. See, we cannot live our lives with a mopey face, walking around the halls of the church. Why me? That Eeyore type of mentality. That's not acceptable. In Mark chapter 12, verse 29 through 30, Jesus says that it's the most important commandment. He says, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love your Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The message says it like this. Jesus said, The first in importance is, Listen, O Israel, the Lord Lord your God is one. So love the Lord God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. It is a commandment. And not only is it a commandment, it's the greatest commandment that we should serve God filled with passion, with all of our soul, all of our heart, all of our mind, fired up. A lot of times we see those guys that, are, that, that are, they seem like they're just fired up all the time. We're like, okay, no one can be that happy, right? But really, that's how we're supposed to be. And I'm not saying you, have, you can never mourn or you can never be, go through, through periods where you're sad or anything like that. But what I'm saying is you have to have passion. You can't be dry. You can't be, be, be Eeyore. You have to have passion. Paul talks about in, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, he says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. With all of your heart, it's repeated there. He says it again in in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. It is a command for us to have passion. It's a command for us to have a fire that's, that's in our heart, that's raging. Paul told Timothy to fan that flame in his heart, to, 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 to help it to grow. We see another command to keep that fire burning, to, 
to, to have that passion. We see it in Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12. I told my dad about this message. He said, when I think passion, I don't think Leviticus. But Leviticus is actually going to be our, our passage that we're going to go through today. And it'll make sense in a second. All right, Leviticus chapter 6, verse 12. It says, The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. Stop there. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. The altar in those days was the place that you made a sacrifice, right? For us, we don't make those sacrifices in the physical sense. We make them in a spiritual sense. So for us, our altar is our heart. Think about it. It's the place that you lay things down, that you make an offering. Would you agree with that? That our altar is our heart. After all, 1 Corinthians says that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Inside the temple, the altar. Okay. If the altar is our heart, then the, fi- or then the fire that it's talking about here is our passion. The passion inside our heart, the fire that's burning in our heart, must be kept alive. It is a commandment. Passion is a must if you're going to walk the Christian life. Second thing that you need to know is that that fire, that passion in your heart, comes from the Lord. In Leviticus 6 and the chapters following it, Moses is giving Aaron, as I call him, Aaron, uh, he's giving him uh, direction to to, on how to perform all of the offerings. There's burnt offerings. There's grain offerings. There's offerings to cover the sin of the people that is unintentional. There's offerings to cover this, the sin of the people that is intentional. There's, there's, there's tons of these offerings, and Moses is laying it out. It's one of the reasons why people are like, oh, Leviticus. But every once in a while, you'll find a golden gem like this, okay? So he's laying this all out. And then after that, God starts, he starts to accept the offerings. So we're going to take a look at Leviticus chapter 9. Leviticus chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. It says, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. The fire came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. God started the fire on the altar. He gave the command, you must keep the fire burning. But it was him that initiated the fire. He started the fire. We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world was turning. I'm totally kidding. (laughs) You guys were all serious. No. No, God started the fire. God started the fire, and he has to start that fire in us. What that means to me is that our passion for God, our passion for ministry, must be born from an experience with God. You cannot get passion from reading about it. You can't study who he is. You can, it's a good thing, but you're not going to get passion from it. Reading your Bible doesn't give you passion for God. Nothing can give you passion for God 
except an experience with God. See, I have a passion for hockey. I'm a passionate hockey fan because I grew up and, and almost 17 years of my life were spent on the ice. And I would go as a small child to any game that Peg would take me to. And I would stay after and we'd stalk people in the parking lots and get autographs. That's not a joke, we actually did that. And when I was a bit, from the time I was a baby, they were, they were handing me to, peep, to, to hockey players to have them sign my little jerseys and hold me for a second and get a picture. Right, Peg? That passion came because I had an experience with the game. You don't just have to play it. You could, you could go, to the, go to, I challenge you, go to Wrigley Field, especially around this time. Go to Wrigley Field and tell me you didn't have an experience with that sport. When it's the bottom of the ninth and Araldus Chapman is throwing 105, you're fired up and you've had an experience and you have passion for it now. And when that passion is, those experiences are, are over and over and over again, that passion grows. Passion must be born from experience. The other thing that sticks out to me here is that the fire that came out of God's presence only after Aaron and Moses went into the tent of meeting. Now, the tent of meeting is quite literally the place where God would meet his people. Okay? So they went into the presence of God. They met with God, had experience in the presence of God. And from that experience, God lit the fire for Jerusalem. We must find God's presence. Now, the presence isn't built up in, a, in that old tent of meeting. We learn in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1 through 14, I'm going to read all of it, that there is a new tent of meeting. All right? I'm going to have everybody turn there. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1 through 14. It's a long passage, but... But it has some meat in there. Get your highlighter out. It's a good one. If you're there, say I'm there. If you're not, I'm starting anyway. It says, Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room there was the lampshade and the table with the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and a gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. The Ark contained the gold jar of manna and Aaron's staff that had budded and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. We cannot discuss these things in detail now, although it kind of seems like he just discussed them in detail. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry out their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people that the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was show, showing by this that the way into the most holy place 
had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. I'm going to read that again. Holy Spirit was showing that by this, the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed so long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and of various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of new order. But when Christ came as the high priest of good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, it is not part of this creation. He did not enter by the means of blood of goats or calves. He entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus attaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and ashes of heifers sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Amen. See, when Christ claimed his role as high priest, he tore the veil. The Bible records that in almost all the, the Gospels, that the veil was torn when he died. The veil was torn when he died. That means that the old tabernacle was now made obsolete. Christ ushered in the new tent of meeting, the new tabernacle, not one of, that is physical, but one that is spiritual. Has the way been revealed? Yes, it has. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 16, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one can get to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ, who is living inside every single one of us, is the new tabernacle. He is the new way to reach God. That veil tearing was the symbol that the first tabernacle was obsolete. And because Christ is our high priest, there's some pretty exciting things that are coming up here. See, Jesus has unlimited access to the Father. We know this by taking a look at the places that he prayed. Was he bound to the temple to pray? Did he have to go into the Holy Holies? No, he didn't, right? He actually only played, prayed in specific places. So write these down because these are the places that you can meet God. He prayed at night. He prayed in the morning. He prayed on the shore. He prayed on a boat. He prayed while performing miracles. He prayed while resting. He prayed while he ate. He prayed on the cross. He prayed while ascending into heaven. He prayed on a mountain. He prayed in a garden. He prayed in the water. He prayed on the water. Basically, anytime and anywhere, Jesus had unlimited access to the Father. You see, why that's exciting for us is because we now have unlimited access to the Father through Christ as our high priest. We know that we have this because Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12 says that we have access to God through our faith in Christ. We have the same access that Jesus had. You don't have to come to church to pray. You don't have to come to this altar to experience God. You can if you want. But you could experience God in your car. You could experience God in your shower. You could experience God on the toilet if you wanted. 
Whenever you want to meet God, you can meet God because you can claim the same unlimited access to the Father that Jesus did. That's pretty exciting. It comes with some awesome benefits. Like Pete was saying, we can claim the same power that raised Christ over the, from the dead. We can claim the same power that, 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 that helped him walk on water to pray over the sick. We have the same access to the Father. So God may have started the fire. We solved that, that, that issue here. God started the fire. But it's up to us to keep that fire burning. This is the third thing that you need to know in order to keep your passion going. We must keep the fire burning. We, underline we. This, this message started and came from a conversation that I was having with my wife because a popular worship leader had posted on Twitter. I was following Twitter and he posted on Twitter this quote that said, passion born from the experience with God will never die. I thought, that's not really true. So I talked it over with my wife, and, and we kind of both came to the same agreement, and that's where this, this, this message started, and I was like, man, that's going to make such a good sermon. So thank you for being wrong. I won't give his name. Fire, or passion that's born from, from experience with God can absolutely be put out. Otherwise, God wouldn't tell us to keep the fire burning. He would just say, fire's going to burn. Right? We're gonna, I'm going to read the rest of chapter 6, verse 12 in Leviticus. It says, The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it and shall burn, it, burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. The priest must add the firewood. Now, we get that, that, that gift, that honor of adding the firewood because we are the priests. First, let me talk about adding firewood. What this makes me think of is deer camp. And not just because it's starting to get a little cool, but it makes me think of my time spent with Ben and Pastor Dave in a tent, pretending like we don't smell, and hoping that a deer walks close enough for one of us to get a good shot. In the tent that Ben has, there's a wood-burning stove. Now, we go out there and we sleep in this tent in November. It's cold, very cold. A couple I mean, two years ago, it was negative 10, right? Negative 10, and we're sleeping in a tent. So what we normally do is, I should say what they normally do, is they, they put alarms set through the night for one of them to alternate waking up and putting wood in the wood-burning stove that keeps the tent warm. I don't do it because I've got young bones, and they've got brittle bones, and I've spent the past 26 years putting on all of this weight for that reason, to keep, my, keep me warm. But they are old guys, and they're, like I said, their bones are brittle, and they get cold easily. So, so they wake up every couple hours, and they put another log on the fire. And I don't know if you remember this, Ben, but last year, you guys, someone missed their alarm. It was, yeah, it was Pastor Dave. He missed the alarm, and, and 
we all woke up and it was like, see your breath cold. It was freezing. If you do not add fire to the wood, to, or add wood to the fire, it will go out. And the effects will be really cold. See, if you, if you let that passion die, you eventually forget why you're doing it. Like I, like I was saying earlier, you forget what the whole reason you were living for God was. You forget the whole reason you were doing ministry was. You start to get bitter. You start to get mad that people aren't helping as much as they should be. And, and then you, you, you get full of, of, of all this, this strife. And your fire, when after a while, you, you, you don't even realize that your fire's been put completely out, and all you are is cold, cold to everyone around you. You have to add the fire, and we must add the fire as, be, as the priests. Now, we know that we are considered priests because of three scriptures. The first one is Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 through 6. It says, Now, therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possessions among all peoples. For all, or all the earth is mine, and you shall be, my kingdom, shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now this applies to us because we know that, that we are the people of Israel. We are the seed of Abraham. You guys you get that? Paul talks about in, in, uh, in Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, he talks about how we are children, or we are the seed of Abraham. And because of that, uh, we, we are children of the promise. So this promise belongs to us. Anyone who has the same belief of Abraham, this promise belongs to. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. The next one is 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9. Many of you guys might have this verse memorized. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. The third one is Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 through 10. It says, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. We, myself, every one of you, anyone who has been made a possession of God's, Right? All three of those verses deal with us being a possession of God's. We were bought by Christ's blood. We, we belong to God. If you belong to God, then you are a priest. Right? You can enter the Holy of Holies by yourself. You don't need to come to me and say, here's this lamb that I got from the grocery store. Can you please take it into Pastor Dave's office and sacrifice it for me so that my sin can be forgiven? To my knowledge, that's never happened. Because it doesn't need to happen, because we are each a priest in our own right. Because we're a priest, we must add that fire, that log, those logs to the fire. It's our responsibility. It says in the scripture, it says, add firewood every morning. What that tells me is that it has to happen continuously. Like I was saying with the fire that we have 
um, in, our, in our deer camp. Logs have to keep being added, otherwise it will go out. It can't just be every once in a while you kind of feed that fire. No, it has to be a continuous thing. Otherwise it will burn out. Otherwise you will burn out. The fire must be fed. How, you may ask? I'm glad you asked. What is the spiritual fuel we must add to the fire? This is a good one. It's you. You are the, are the fuel. You are the spiritual wood that needs to be added to the fire. We know this from Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you. Amen. You are the sacrifice. I am the sacrifice. That is the fuel that you need to add. You need to add on to the fire. And Paul follows this up, and, and, and this, these are the things that you need to do. This, is the, this is, the, is the body of the fuel. So write these down. The first one we find in, in verse, six, uh, verse 3 through 6. It says, stay humble. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment and according to the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, we, through many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Do not think of yourself more than you actually are. This is a good word for, for the church. The church is full of Dwight Schrute's. Anybody watch The Office? You're not... You don't help out in the nursery. You're the assistant director to the nursery director. Right? Isn't the church full of those people? If you're one of them. If, if you know one of them, point to them. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> just kidding. The church is full of those people. Some of them, it might even be some of us. We like to have those labels slapped onto us so we can feel important. But that's the opposite of what Paul is telling us to do here. He's telling us to stay humble. Don't think of yourself more than you are. Know who you are. Know what your giftings are. Just because you see people up on the stage doesn't mean that you can sing. Trust me. I've, heard, I've had some people come to me, I want to sing before the Lord. Sister, that is not your gifting. We... You have to know where your giftings are, and you have to be willing to be used in those areas. Do not think of yourself more than you are. Know who you are, and allow yourself to be used. We're one body, many different parts. Our church is, is, does not only function because of the worship band. It does not only function because of the sound ministry or the board. It functions because we all have different things to contribute. Amen? Amen. Second thing can be found in verses 9 through 12. It says, love must be sincere. I'm going to repeat that. Quick, someone tattoo that on their arm. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. 
Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Dang. Be devoted. Don't flake out. If you say you're going to be there, be there. Even if it puts you out, even if you have to rearrange your schedule, be devoted. It's a commandment. These are the ways that we, that we add to that fuel. Put others first. Love others before yourself. Jesus said that's the second greatest commandment. Love others. Sacrificial loving is what this is all about. Serving in a way. See, if you're serving and it's not putting you out a little bit, then you're not doing it right. If you're only serving when, it, when, it, when everything is lining up perfectly for you, then that's not how you're supposed to serve. You have to allow yourself to be stretched. You have to be devoted. You have to put others before yourself. And I'm not saying that just you guys. This is me as well. We all do this. Love is so much stronger when it's sacrificial. Ladies, what would you enjoy more? Your husband bringing you flowers that he got from the guy with the bucket on the side of the road. He brings you those couple roses that they have paired. Or your husband brings you home a bouquet that you know that he had to go to the, the flower shop and pick out each individual flower and have them arrange it and put a nice card on there and present it to you in a nice vase. Which one would you rather have? Which one? The ones out of the bucket? No! You want the one that he spent more time on. You don't want to know that your husband just went, oh, he was driving, he didn't have to get out of his car, he flipped the guy a dollar and rolled his window down like a quarter of an inch, like a, a two inches and pulled the flowers through the, through the window. You don't want that. You want to know your husband went out of his way, that he took time on his lunch break to go and, and, and pick out those flowers and, and he could have done other things. He could have went and got a good lunch, but instead he went to McDonald's so he would have enough time to, to, to think about you and to get something nice for you. Right? That's what you want. And that's what, the, that's what God wants for his people. He wants for us to sacrifice. Sacrifice that, that extra 20 that you were going to put towards a pizza for, to help someone out. If you see a need in the body, help them. Meet that need. One body, many parts. It's not all about serving in the, serving in the church in, in, as far as a Sunday morning or Wednesday evening. A lot of it is seeing a need and meeting that need. Hey, you look like you are just really stressed out. You and your husband need, really need to get away. I'll watch your kids for you. <laughs> well, that wasn't an open invitation, all right? <laughs> hey, you look exhausted. Here's a trip to a spa on me. I don't have anything, any of those up here, so don't come up to me after service. Fill the void. If you see a need, fill it. Jump in. Help out. We are a family. 
families help each other. You have to help. I like that last one. It says be hospitable. Practice hospitality. The definition of hospitality is a generous reception. I like that. When I was in college, I was searching for a church, and I was looking all around, and I went to probably six or seven different churches. And the one church that I ended up staying, and I stayed there for a good portion of my college years, was the church that the pastor remembered my name. I had started going there the, the couple weeks before school ended, and I came back to Chicago. And when I returned the, the next fall, I came to service, and he said, Hey, Seth, hey, Mona, how you doing? We were only there for a couple of weeks. But he remembered us. He remembered that we were getting married that summer. He, that meant something to me, and it made me want to be devoted I know of stories of many people in this church that searched around all over the place for different churches. But when they walked in these doors, they were met with someone who, who, who generously welcomed them, who were hospitable towards them. They gave them a big hug. Ron messed up their hair, bent their glasses. And they remembered their name. They loved on them. Be hospitable. Don't show up to church and put your arms folded and sit in your normal spot and to only talk to your normal people that you talk to. Get up. Go shake a hand. Love on someone. Get to know someone beyond, hey, how you doing? Oh, you're doing good? Okay, I'm going to go back to what I was doing. No, really, dig into their life. Now, that makes us uncomfortable to do that. I know it makes me uncomfortable to do that, and I'm a pastor. But you've got to step out of your comfort zone. You've got, you got to, 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 to step out, do things that make you feel uncomfortable, but you know it's right. The third thing that we must do to add, add fuel to the fire, to, to build up our fire in our heart, it says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Bless those who persecute you. This is a tough one. When people come against you, a lot of times people in the church, the, most, the best thing that you can do is promote peace. I think two Wednesdays ago I talked about peace. How above all else we have to promote it. So when things arrive, uh, come up and, and, and someone tries to quarrel with you, fight with you, you have to be willing to squash it. You have to be willing to move forward to just, you know what, you're hurting me, but... Lord bless you. And do not curse. You can't give them a, uh, I hope you have a great drive all the way to hell. You know, you can't give them one of those. That doesn't count. You have to actually bless them. Pray for them. Pray for, for favor in their life. And it's hard. 
Go out of your way to be nice to them. This is awesome because when you go out of your way to be nice to the people who don't like you, they hate it. The Bible says it heaps coals on their head. They hate when you're nice to them. And you're in the will of God. Double win. Pray for your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Rejoice when you see someone have victory in their life. Don't get upset. Don't be jealous. Don't get petty. All of these things are contrary to, to how we as humans naturally are. We have to fight our nature in this. When you see someone who, who, who got a raise and you've been praying for a raise for 10 years, it's hard to do. It's hard to be like, wow, yeah, they really deserve it. They prayed for two seconds. It's hard to be excited for them, but it's a commandment. We have to. And trust me, it'll save you a huge headache. Bless them. Bless them. Be grateful for them. Rejoice in their victory. Rejoice. Don't be jealous. Mourn for them and their defeats. A lot of times we see people that, that go through things in their life and we say, they finally hit rock bottom. They deserved it. Hopefully now they'll get it figured out. Right? Who's ever said that? I have. Mourn with people in their defeats. Mourn with them in their brokenness. I had a young man come in my office today right before service. I knew this, this kid when I was a kid. He was a little bit older than me. And from the place that he's in in his life was completely broken. He was completely shattered. He had complete division in his family. He didn't speak to his mother. He, was, he had fully embraced the homosexual lifestyle. He was dying of AIDS. His body was deteriorating. He came and sat in my office and told me about all about how he doesn't believe in God. I don't believe in God. He's a Buddhist. I don't believe in God. And I can pray, but I don't believe that, that I can pray, but I don't believe that, that, that there is any, any specific God. I can do whatever, as long as there's a higher power, he was telling me. And he sat there, broken down. I haven't seen this guy in, I don't know, 15 years. Broken down. Pour, tears pouring out of his eyes. And I sat there as this person was telling me, I disagree with everything you believe. And the only thing I could do was to mourn with them. I'm so sorry that your family is, is destroyed. I can't even imagine what that's like. I can't imagine the things that you go through every day. I can't imagine the thoughts that are in your head. I can't imagine being separated from my family like that. Showing them sympathy, showing them empathy, mourning with them, praying with them. Before he left, I told him, listen, you can pray whoever you want to, but I know my God answers prayer. I prayed for peace over his family. 
mourn with those who are in defeat. Don't cast them out. What good would it have done if I would have said, listen, you're attacking me and my beliefs. Get out of my office. I could have. I probably had the right to. But all I could do was mourn with them. I'm not saying that because I'm a saint. Actually, the first thought in my head was, oh, great. I've got to finish this sermon. <laughs> but God quickly checked my spirit, and he said, mourn with this brother. And I did. That's what we need to do. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourn with those who are mourning. If we live like this, if we pursue God like this, our fire will rage inside of us. You say, Pastor Seth, that Saul sounds nice, but it sounds a lot like work to me. It sounds like ministry, quite frankly. And isn't ministry what it makes people burn out? Yes and no. Burnout comes from doing ministry or living your Christian life the wrong way. It comes for, from serving in the church but only to get a pat on the back or making yourself into something that, you actu- you're not actually, something that you're actually not. We're huge into giving ourselves titles these days. See, that's not how titles were designed. I'm not a pastor because I call myself pastor. I'm a pastor because I, other people call me pastor. I could call myself bishop. I could call myself, I could call myself a prophet. That doesn't mean I'm a prophet. Titles should be given, not taken. But we do it to make ourselves feel better. To kind of make our head a little bit bigger, to feel, stand up straighter. and That's not right. It leads to burnout. Burnout comes by being greedy and selfish with your love. You absolutely can be selfish with your love. You can choose who to give it to and who, to not, who not to give it to. You can say, oh, I can love on these people. That person, he's weird, he doesn't deserve it. And that's not right. You cannot be devoted. You could be selfless. Or you cannot be devoted and selfless. You could have no joy. You could have no patience. And you could have no faithfulness in prayer. You can just be greedy and still be serving in the church. Still be walking your Christian life. But you've just let your fire dim and dim and dim. And that coldness is that the cold has started to set started to settle in. And you're just bitter now. You can burn out by causing strife in the body because your pride was hurt. When you're just fighting for no reason other than to fight. Someone says something to you, something Maybe they shouldn't have said it, and you just let it get to you, and it digs inside of you and, you, and you, and you just let it fester in your heart. All the while doing the work of God, 
showing up on Sundays and Wednesdays, maybe you even show up to the food pantry, but the whole time in your heart you're just harboring bitterness because that person had the nerve to say that to you. Our pride gets in the way. That person had the nerve to tell you you were doing that wrong or to correct you because you showed up late or, 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 or you weren't devoted to your thing. See, these things follow, these things follow each other. It's absolutely possible to be that person and be serving in the church. But that is what leads to burnout. It's basically throwing water on your fire. But when you live sacrificially, when you live like Jesus, it's like throwing gasoline on a fire. When you're doing things for other people because you genuinely love them, you might, it, you, your whole body might be on fire. You're set ablaze. Because you're, 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 you love people. And you love doing things for them. Think about people when they come back from missions trips. How many times, how many times, Rachel, have you, have you had people come, go on missions trips? And what's the thing they say? Do they come back and they say, man, we blessed so many people? No. What do they say? I was so blessed by being able to give of myself. I was so blessed seeing the smile on their face because I handed them a, a small piece of candy, because I gave them a sip of soda. I was so overjoyed. And they come, people come back from these missions trips and they're fired up for God. Why? Because they were serving? Because they were doing all the orders that they were supposed to do? No, but because they were living sacrificially and they were loving sacrificially, doing things not for their own benefit, but doing things just because they loved these people. And you saw a little child that didn't speak the same language as yourself and you just began to love them like they were your own. And you pour out and pour out upon them. And they don't even know what you're saying, but you just love them and you hold them tight. And you come back from that fired up, wanting to, to just stay raging on fire for God, wanting to do everything that you can, wanting to make a difference. Your fire is ignited through an experience with God. Every great adventure has moments where the fire grows dim. Fatigue begins to set in. And every time, the hero must remember what started the fire in the first place. Pastor Dave, Mona, and I didn't head back when we were on, going to that waterfall. We kept going and we, we, we fought on, even though we had a genuine fear of bears. But we remember the way that that waterfall was described to us. How beautiful it sounded. We remembered how awesome of a story it would be to share. We got excited and we just pushed on. We said, eh, we'll make it back in time. We fought our way all the way down and we found this waterfall. I have a picture and it's not, it doesn't even do it justice. But if you got behind that rock wall, it was just 90 feet 
of just rushing water crashing down with all these ledges. And the water at the base of it was, I don't know, 50 feet deep. It was incredible. It was the most, I've, I've been to Niagara Falls. I've seen amazing waterfalls. That was the most magnificent waterfall I've ever seen in my life. I've seen bigger ones, but something was special about that one. Something was special. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.borrowingag.org. Thank you, and God bless.